Hi everyone, I'm Anna Close. And I'm Paul Ciparoni, and this is the Engineering History Podcast. <laughs> if you want to hear about where engineering and history collide, then you're at the right show. Today, we will be going over... Rosalind Franklin and the structure of DNA. I guess you could say this episode's going to be a double helix doozy. Uh, but first, let's get into some <laughs> background about us. I am a manufacturing engineer doing mostly uh, manufacturing engineer activities at an aerospace company. And I'm a civil engineer focusing on water resources and water quality. Today's alcohol for the podcast is Weekend Vibes. It's an IPA. And it good news, good news, it won bronze in 2019 for its American-style pale ale. Hey, can't so, argue with that. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh, yeah. That tastes like San Diego. Yeah, it's a San Diego-style pale ale. Okay, Anna, Rosalind Franklin and DNA. Yeah, Rosalind Franklin was a brilliant British chemist whose X-ray diffraction studies provided crucial clues to the structure of DNA. She was born in London on July 25th, 1920 to prominent Anglo-Jewish family and was the second of five children. That's a lot. Five children. So she essentially was a little single mom right out the gate. Yeah. Um, that's how it always happens in a larger family. Sometimes it's good for the kids, by the way. I'm yeah. not saying it's a totally. You need to grow up, you little three-year-old. Learn to learn to learn wipe to your own your ass. <laughs> change your own diaper and then change your kid kid brother's diaper. I'm popping out triplets. If you're not providing income for the family at three years old, you need to get the fuck out. <laughs> you'll starve or you'll provide income. <laughs> yes. But good news on this front, um, her father was a partner of Kaiser's Bank, which was one of the family's major businesses. They used to be my healthcare provider, actually. Yeah. And he was a publisher at Rutledge and Keegan Paul, and, and it was another family business. So they were pretty well off. They didn't really have to worry about sending the three-year-olds off to the mines. Okay. Well, uh, I'm hearing privilege, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, both he and his wife, Muriel, were very active in charities, so think again. Ooh. Okay. And other community outreach programs. And overall, even though they were like a larger family, they were pretty well off, but they dedicated, they were dedicated to their children and wanted them to have the best education since that's something that they valued. Nice. And keep in mind this, when Rosalind is born, it's like, it's like, you know, the 1920s and she's growing up in the 1920s, 1930s so and 40s. So we're giving props for, yeah, they were like, my child, despite the fact that she's a woman, might mm -hmm. enjoy school. Exactly, yeah. And Rosalind attended St. Paul's School for Girls, which emphasized preparing young women for graduating and setting up a good career instead of marrying rich. So that was like the one school in the nation like yeah, that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and Rosalind, I mean, obviously, I feel like we always talk about these genius kids and they're like, right. whenever we do a, a backstory on them, it's like, they were, they showed an early aptitude for math and science. Right. Well, that's the same case for Rosalind. So basically what we're saying is if you're 12 and you're not already a math genius, <laughs> just give up. Yeah, <laughs> Your basically. life will be unsuccessful. Um, but she also had a good ear for language. Ooh. Yeah. Her teachers would say that she managed to speak excellent French, good Italian, and passable German. <laughs> well, I can't speak passable German, so I mean, that's not, you know. I, I know, but I, I know. Yeah, that's okay. That's fair. I just like, I just <laughs> like the phrase. Are we supposed to be roasting her that like her fourth language wasn't like, you know, perfect? Fluent German. No, wasn't I just Kaiser think Kaiser Wilhelm level here. I just think it's funny. It was like, 
passable German. Like, it's okay. I bet this is, like, one of those schools. Like, I'm reading this book. Actually, a book you got me, so thanks a lot, about the life of Nietzsche. Oh, um, yeah. Fascinating book. And, uh, and he went to this, like, super, like like proto-fascist nazi school okay. not really it's not not nazi but they just basically just like drilled these kids like insanely hard they got like five hours of sleep a night oh wow it's called forta i believe it was called interesting and like yeah you would learn like the classics and like all these languages so i could see that kind of standard being applied here where it's like oh you're 12 years old and you don't know german fluently <laughs> you bet now your sleep got down to four hours a night <laughs> Yeah, that's what my sleep is anyways, so... Yeah, it's good preparation for a career in engineering. <laughs> yeah. Um, so don't worry if you think she's, like, this perfect person. Um, her talents for math and science and languages were... Perfect. There, that was it. She had no talent for singing, so she's not perfect. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm sure she was probably adequate. <laughs> Her teacher said that she could hold a tune when she graduated. So what? What about uh, you know, like uh, underwater basket weaving? You know, <laughs> PE. You know, like what about uh, you know, kind of the, the other subjects? Um. Well, I don't know if her underwater basket weaving skills were there, but she was an avid hiker, and it Ooh. was one of her great passions. Never mind. She's like one of those people who's <laughs> just like I hate these people. Where I. Preface, I don't actually hate these people. Like, but it's people where it's like, they're good at everything. Yeah. And they're nice people. I know. It's like, fuck you, dude. I hate it. And they're so pretty, too. Often. Very often. And sometimes, look, they've had work done, and it was a good idea. Yeah. Okay. But sometimes it's just a natural glow. (laughs) Because their nicety shines on the outside as well. I bet that Rosalind uh, was yoked. I bet she was deadlifting uh, twice her body weight. Okay, anyways, um, yeah, hiking, it was one of her lifelong passions, mainly because the Franklin family vacations were often walking tours around the world and hiking. That is so fun. I'm such yeah. an avid hiker. I know. I Can we get one? Can we get one daughter like Rosalind Franklin, please? A pod daughter? <laughs> yeah. I, I think the closest thing the pod has to that is River. River, and she just farted, so. So she's kind of out of the will at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so. Instead of staying an extra year at St. Paul's for college prep, Rosalind Rosalind graduated and graduated. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) unlike Rosalind, I don't have control over my language. So you have passable English. Yeah, I, I think probably uh, we're we're as good at our one language as she might be at her fourth. Yeah. So she graduated in 1938 and entered Newnham College, which was one of the two women's college in Cambridge University. So, sorry, and, and you've probably already said this. She was born in the United States, but she's going to school in the UK? She was born in the UK. So she's British? She's, unfortunately, yes. Yikes. Actually, specifically, she was born in London. I thought this was about someone we're supposed to look up to. Or... <laughs> no. We love you, Brits. <laughs> Bloody fish and chips. <laughs> God save the... Well, it's not the queen anymore, I know. Is it? What do we do? Do they say God save the king? Is that I, a thing? I guess so, yeah, because it's a king. Well, it's his coronation. I, are I they ha- even going to bother? He's I, kicking the bucket pretty soon. <laughs> I don't even know. I, don't, I honestly do not keep up with that stuff. Honestly, he should just go kite surfing in the next few years that he has here and kind of kick it over to the next guy. Okay, cool. I'll take it. 
Okay, so can can we get into Cambridge University? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Cambridge University, the way that they have it set up, it's like you have the big universities, and then you you'll have like colleges within them. So even though she went to Newnham College, it was still part of Cambridge University. I I think that kind of persists even to you know the modern day. Mm-hmm. You know, like for example, George Mason University, a fine news university in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, where I attended, mm-hmm. <laughs> I also attended the Volgenov School of Engineering. Yeah, uh, okay. which was a separate thing, which is now the College of Engineering and Computing. Interesting. Uh, That's fun. And some places you even have to like you could go to the university. I know Virginia Tech is this way, where you go to the university, but then like two years in, you have to apply to the college you want to go. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you could do two years at a university, not get into the major that you want to, and then you're like low-key fucked. Whoa, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's. But it's not because, folks, you can just pivot in your career. It's, it's... I have a mechanical degree, and I, I don't do that kind of thing that much. Okay, anyways. Um, at Cambridge, Franklin majored in physical chemistry. Her undergraduate years were partly shaped by World War II, because remember, she graduated... From St. Paul's in 1938, so it's the very, it's the cusp of World War II as she's entering Cambridge. Right. So, during this time, many instructors, especially in the sciences, uh, were pulled into war work. Some um, immigrate, uh, em- faculty or immigrated faculty were detained as aliens. And an example of this is biochemist Max Perut, who I would love to do a whole lot podcast episode on because I think he's very interesting. Um, I just want to briefly go into his background. He was born in Vienna, Austria. His parents were of Jewish ancestry, but they converted to Catholicism because, uh, you know, it's Germany and it's like, you know, there's a lot of sort of animosity towards the Jewish faith. So Max was baptized in the Catholic Church. Uh, He enrolled in the University of Vienna to study chemistry as an undergraduate and completed his degree in 1936. Um, A professor at Cambridge was looking for a research student to assist him with studies in x-ray crystallography. Uh, He took on Max Perutz as that research assistant in his crystallography research group at Cavendish Laboratory. Cavendish Laboratory? Laboratory. Sorry. I'm sorry. It was chuckle-worthy. I'm allowed one ADHD moment, and I think that was it. Yeah, you're, 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 yeah, you've burned your Yeah, damn it. Okay, so early on. Not even 11 minutes. Damn it. Okay, I'll be better next time. When Hitler took over Austria. (laughs) The most obvious hard cut. (laughs) Folks, editing magic going on right here. Okay, so, you know, Hitler is doing his thing in Austria. What was his thing, exactly? (laughs) Taking it over. (laughs) And it was 1938. Right. Wasn't he born there? Like, isn't that the whole thing of, like, he wasn't even German, was he? No, I think he was born in Austria. And wasn't his, like, grandma Jewish also? Yes, there's a lot of contradiction. Yeah, well, I guess it's not surprising that Adolf Hitler's ideology is totally consistent. It's so crazy. It's crazy to think. Anyways, he took over Austria in 1938. Perutz's parents uh, escaped to Switzerland. I heard, and this maybe is not actually, okay. This is like one of those things where it's like, I feel like this is true. Maybe you could confirm this. I'm asking (laughs) the question. I'm not saying this happened. Okay. I heard like if you, like there actually was maybe early on in Germany at this time a way to escape if you were Jewish. But basically the deal was like, 
you can leave, but you can't come back, and you have to leave all your shit behind. And so oh. you're basically destitute, and but like you can leave at this point, and maybe that's not true. Oh, I have no idea. I didn't. Okay. I didn't. Right. I didn't. That was not part <laughs> was, of my I research. I was wondering if that was the path that they used to leave. Okay. Anyway, you know, when I was doing research into all of this, I was not thinking. Hmm. I wonder what happened to the people that left Germany when they were Jewish. But that is interesting if it is true. If true, folks, I have not looked that up. That is based on some hazy recollection. Do your own research. But this might tie back back into the next point. Uh, Perutz's family lost all their money, so maybe it was that kind of thing. That's where, why like, I was if you wondering. Flee, then you yeah. have to leave everything here. Yeah. Honestly, like if my if my home country was like get the fuck out, get the fuck out, I would yeah. be like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to bring uh, my. Well, I don't even have. What? <laughs> I would want to take all my stuff. I don't know. What What do I have that's like valuable? I have clothes okay, well, and stuff. Imagine if you were, you know, a wealthy immigrant who wasn't like wealthy even. Maybe you were. You owned a successful shop, so you had oh, some stuff stored away. Business, yeah. And then all of a sudden, because of your race, they come by and are just like, "You need to leave." And you're like, "Okay," and you start packing your bags, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, just get the fuck out." Yeah, I would be. I mean. If I owned a business, that would be obviously very hard because, you know, you put your blood, sweat, and blood, tears sweat and into tears that. Blood, sweat, and tears all for nothing. For yeah. Some... Anyway, we're not... We're, this is not part of it. I'm but... going to assume everyone listening to this agrees that Nazi Germany was a bad idea. Yeah, this is also a side tangent. <laughs> side and we're tangent going... to a side tangent. <laughs> this is too much of a tangent. Yes. Um, so Perutz, unfortunately, also lost all of his financial support, but he had a affinity for skiing. He was very good at it. So, My man. <laughs> because of his background in um, physics and chemistry and his um, ability to ski, um, he did like a mountaineering uh, research thing for crystals. God, that is so fucking cool. Yeah, and he was accepted as a member of a three-man team to study the conversion of snow into ice in the Swiss glaciers. In like a ski trip? Yeah, and this was the summer of 1938. This is the kind of thing I want to like do. It's like, I want to do like travel engineering, yes. but I'm skiing and it's yes. all my like skill sets, you know? It is, it does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, after this ski trip was over. <laughs> this forced ski trip due yeah. to your home country getting taken over by paramilitary death squads. Yeah, I know. I was thinking when I found this out, I was like, God, that sounds awful. But like, you get to go on a ski trip. Silver lining to a paid. shit situation. Terrible situation. And he got paid. I, okay, not that it would be worth it. It would obviously not be <laughs> worth it. But that sounds like a great way to spend your, your winter. Yeah. Um, well, it was the summer. Oh, and they're still skiing. Yeah. Because it's the Alps it's the Alps, yeah. God, I've always wanted to go skiing in the Alps. That's definitely Dude. a bucket list. Oh my God. I sent you this crazy video on Instagram. I don't oh, okay. know if this is probably not that relevant. I'll speed through it really quick. Folks, if you've never seen the the Instagram uh, page, Nature is Metal, mm. it's a crazy page. Don't follow it if you're faint of heart. You'll see animals get ripped apart and stuff like that. Yeah. This particular video is a guy skiing, which is why it's relevant. And he was like, oh man, there's something I better turn away from it. And he falls in this ice cavern. Ah! And it's the most anxiety-inducing video you'll watch all day. Just look up at Nature is Metal. It's a crazy video. Yeah, mountain skiing is a whole nother beast. Whole nother ball game. Yeah, but I, that's the kind. Of, I bet Max ran into some of that those issues. Probably, I and mean, probably he was, faced him like a champ. I mean, he was, you know, 
you know, he was mountaineering and, and skiing and stuff like that in the Swiss Alps. Maybe. Mountaineering is so fucking cool. Yeah. It God. does sound like fun. It's like being a pioneer, you know? Yes. But more fun. Yes. Anyways. Yes. After this whole trip was done. Right. Um, Perutz was rounded up along with other persons of German or Austrian, Austrian background and, sound, and sent to Newfoundland on orders from Winston Churchill. That's less fun. Yeah. So uh, after being interned for several months... The... We can keep going. The sirens can't stop us. <laughs> he returned to Cambridge. You know Dude, what? That... You're Sorry. right. Sirens can't stop us. I agree. And isn't it kind of fucked up? You're forced to leave your home country. You go to yes. this other country, mm-hmm. and then they were like, you might be a, a spy or whatever for the guys that kicked you out. Yeah, and so you're just like a nerd. You're just like, dude, I literally just want to go skiing and do x-ray crystallography. And Winston Churchill's like, I don't believe you. And then he sends you to you Newfoundland. Mean, you mean that he's like, I don't believe you. That's my Winston Churchill impression. Smoking one of his insanely long cigars. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every picture of him, they just get longer and longer. Way, do you know he used to... This is a fun history fact. Do you know he used to put pins in them? Are you aware of this? No. So what he would do is he'd be in meetings with these like world leaders. And he'd be puffing on the cigar. And he would put pins in the cigar so that it would start to burn away. And it would look like the ash was about to fall off. But he would just keep smoking it. <laughs> and he'd be like discussing these things. And everybody who's like talking with him would just be staring at the cigar like when the fuck is that ash gonna drop and it would get down to like a little nub and it would still be there that's so i just imagine him sucking on ash at no, that like, point. They, like pretty much at that point dude i would not be paying oh. attention to what he's saying i'd be like oh my god I, I was like, dude ash your shit bro take care of your goddamn cigar oh my god i think that was the intention uh okay <laughs> If you're feeling a little bit bad for him, don't worry. He wins a Nobel Prize um, for, like, a whole bunch of research he does on the structure of hemoglobin and myoglobin. So. Yeah, I'm sure that made his whole fucking life yeah. blowing up worth it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so that's a little side quest that we did. So Let's... who was this guy? Sorry. He's a name that'll pop up. Just remember, he's associated with Cambridge, the Cavendish Laboratory. He works at the Cavendish Laboratory, and Rosalind goes to Cambridge and mm-hmm. she's running into him. He's a, he's a colleague. Yeah, he's like he's there. He's doing his research. He's already he already graduated from the University of Vienna, so he has a bachelor's. I'm sure he's also studying for masters and PhD, but he's also right. doing research. And this was just one of the many like professors and scientists that um Franklin noted that were like missing all of a sudden during the early during the beginnings of world war ii because he got sent to the internment camp exactly yeah um so in one letter franklin noted practically practically the whole of cavendish laboratory has disappeared biochemistry biochemistry was almost entirely run by germans and may not survive wow yeah um, Cambridge also took a number of war refugees, including the French scientist Adrien Ouville, who arrived at Newnham in 1940 and became Franklin's mentor and friend. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that that's, you know, a little gal pal. Well, oh, Adrien is a woman. 
Uh, yes, I believe so. I'm imagining her as Madame Maxine from uh, Harry, <laughs> Harry Potter. Potter. No, I don't think all French people are like 10 feet tall. <laughs> well, you don't know that. <laughs> Have you ever been to France? Uh, I went to an island off of the coast of France once. Wow, Mrs. Privileged over here. Okay. You know, not everybody gets to go to islands off the coast of France. Okay. That's what you call like a double negative, where if you answer one way, you lose, and if you answer the other way, you lose. Can I just continue with the story i'm sorry i made it hostile <laughs> in this lovely weekend vibes IP, i'm really I know, enjoying this. me too yeah and it was really well poured by you as well thank you okay so franklin received her ba in 1941 and was awarded a scholarship for further year of research and a research grant from the department of scientific and industrial research nice and this was for uh cambridge i believe so she spent that year in the lab of R.G.W. Norge, a noted pioneer in photochemistry. So she's doing her thing. Chilling. She's being a genius, getting grants, getting Ooh, money. Not chilling. She's on her Sigma she's, grind she's set. She's on her Sigma grind set, yeah. She's bench pressing some photogrammetry or, yeah. uh, or, or, sorry, what was it? Photochemistry. Photochemistry, yes. Yes. Okay, so she's in her early 20s getting grants, doing her thing. I'm in my early 20s. I've never gotten a grant. She was like 21. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> How come I don't get grants? You know, because we're just not as we're not that nearly as good You're not as that she guy, is. pal. Yeah. <laughs> So it's 1942. World War II is still raging on. And she had to decide whether to be drafted for more traditional war work or pursue a PhD-oriented research job in a field relevant to wartime needs. What do you think she chooses? Uh, the Donald Trump bone spurs path of <laughs> get me the fuck out of here. We're doing the PhD. Yeah, listen, she she did that. She chose the latter. Nice. Um, yes. <laughs> And uh, began to work with the British Coal Utilization Research Association, or Bakura, that so, summer. I, I, I'm hearing she's not very green tech enabled. I'm hearing she's working it's, for big oil. Well, not really. It's more of just like the study of, oh, of okay. coal. Yeah, say whatever you need to. Do you want to hear about it or not? I do. <laughs> it's just... not it's not like that. Okay. So for whatever the next you have to say. four years. Sorry. <laughs> Franklin worked to elucidate the microstructures of various coals and carbons and explain why some were more more permeable to water, gases or solvents, and how heating and carbonization affected permeab- permeability, which helped with wartime efforts. So is permeability like how much water gets into the coal when you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, is the application? I'm just trying to contextualize this. So is the application here like I'm on a ship and it's a coal-powered ship and I'm trying to figure out like if this gets splashed with water if I can still use it as fuel? Yeah, like something along the lines of that. Um, and she did a lot of work with this. She's she's often, well, she's often noted as as being very capable in this field because you know she's obviously she's a fucking genius but for sure yeah so and in this work she found that pores and coals have fine constrictions at the molecular level which in which increase with heating and vary Ooh. according to carbon content of the coal so sorry is it that the pores increase as you heat up the coal so i would assume if you sorry oh is no that- yeah kind of so like uh, um 
Yeah, like the pores can. Well, they constrict. Oh, I'm so. So you would have not fewer pores, but they would be smaller. Smaller. Yeah, it's like it's like a molecular sieve. Sieve, you know. So as you heat up the coal, it becomes less permeable to water. Yeah, and it blocks penetrations of like some substances like trying to come in. And so, is this heat to the level of like the coal is burning, or is this just like heat? If you know, I mean, I it I didn't really this is some say, okay, but yeah, I imagine yeah, yeah. anything it's above inside baseball here. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> anything above room temperature. Yeah, or something, <laughs> something to that nature. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she was the first to identify and measure these sort of pores and what are called also like microstructures or whatever. And this, um, work made it possible to classify coals and predict their performance to a high degree of accuracy. That's amazing. Yeah. So it helped with the, with the war. Well, you know, the thing I hope it would help with is my Italian nose. (laughs) Well, just put you against a furnace. (laughs) Yeah. We got blackhead, folks. It's not, I'm not ashamed, but my pores could use some work. Yeah, setting your face on fire, I think, would help with the pores. Is that what you're talking about? Look, desperate times call for desperate Italians, as Dude, they say. What if Cole, like, could talk and had emotions and we were like, I'm so sorry, but I need you for the try. <laughs> I need to be warm. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm burning. My flesh is melting. And Rosalind's just in the lab, like, She's like got a little blowtorch. She's she's just like dissecting them and like cutting them apart. They're like little beans. They have little arms. Yeah. It's like, please, I have a family. It's like little cold pebbles. Like, why are you doing to daddy? Oh God, what are you going to do to me? And then the cold dad tries to protect the little cold babies, but Rosalind's got him pinned down. (laughs) So stupid. being used for like trains and yeah, like these yeah. poor conductors are like i'm sorry <laughs> i have to, to do this committing genocide every day <laughs> no, powering please, the train mother. oh my god oh, okay. <laughs> just, like two coals are stuck together it's like a child calling <laughs> don't take away mommy <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm like sweating <laughs> i know me too oh man I need a I need a refresher. Yeah. So after this cold genocide, um, <laughs> Rosalind um, received a doctoral. Oh, she did a doctoral thesis and received her PhD um, in from Cambridge in 1945 and had five scientific papers under her name. So the war's over. Uh, yes, 1945. Yeah, I think the war is over, right? Uh, or at least it's about to be over. Yeah. Um. 
after the war, Franklin wanted to do different work. You know, she had her her friend Adrienne, uh, who nice. returned to France. And to go teach at Bobatton's Academy of Magic. Yes, to teach at Bobatton's Academy of Magic and commit more coal genocide. Yeah. <laughs> no, she was trying to get away from the coal genocide. Yeah, she's like, I've seen terrible I've things. I've seen too much. I've done horrible things. Yeah, you know, they say with PTSD, it's often not what you see, it's what you commit. Yes. And <laughs> Adrienne helped her get a position in a lab in Paris. Well, yeah. So. Where she ran into Marie Curie for the engineering women's team yes. up. Yes. Maybe, right? Marie Curie. When oh did Curie God. pass away? Maybe, um, I don't know. I assume she was doing science until the very last yes. dying breath. Uh, okay, so if memory serves correctly, the radium girls were in the 20s and 30s. So she's probably still kicking. She's still kicking. She's old. She's old. She's, she's still. She's doing engineering to her last dying moment. She's up there. She's yeah. up there. So. Maybe we had a little crossover episode at some point. I don't know. Hopefully. Mm. That could be cool. That would be very interesting. Um, but at the lab, she learned how to analyze carbons using x-ray crystallography and became very pr- proficient with the technique. So she's still torturing. She's torturing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's now crystals. Moved on to crystals from coal. <laughs> so is there a, you know, I, I know what x-ray crystallography is mm-hmm. and everything. Yes. But is there uh you know, what, what what is this career field? I'm so glad you asked because this is what I spent four hours of research <laughs> doing today. And distilling <laughs> down the best information for us podcast listeners? Yes, exactly. Awesome. So to get into x-ray crystallography, we'll first have to understand x-ray diffraction. Right. <sighs> so, before we get into this... I just want to preface this with saying, when we talked about this earlier, this is a very extensive field. Right. People, you know, dedicate their lives to this. But you're basically an expert. Yes, essentially. <laughs> and like x-ray, anything to do with x-rays also, like the engineering and history goes back decades, if not hundreds of years. That'd be a great pod. I know, right? And so we're just looking at a small fraction of what spans lifetimes. A small slice of the spectrum, just like the x-rays themselves. Yes, a small slice of the coal, if you will. Right. (laughs) Slice. Yeah. So this is sort of what I was able to gain from just a, a short time, which I understand people literally spend their whole lives on this. So let's get into x-ray diffraction. So the best way to describe it is a phenomena in which atoms of a crystal cause interference patterns or cause an interference pattern of waves that can be captured when X-ray beams are present. So can I just try to break that down and you tell me if this is correct? Yes. So my understanding of what you just said mm-hmm. is that I have a wave of some kind and it's traveling near. Sorry, is it traveling near an X-ray or is it traveling near a crystal? No, uh, you have a X-ray wave traveling towards a crystal. Gotcha. And then that X-ray wave will bounce off the crystal. Right. And it causes a pattern that can be projected onto something and it can be captured. What What is a pattern? What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because Bragg's Law. <laughs> Bragg's Law. <laughs> yeah, Brad's Law <laughs> um, can help explain this phenomenon through an equation. And that is n times lambda equals 2 times d times sine theta. 
Which is a lot. I know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so, having no visualization here. So we're gonna get. We're gonna get. We're gonna dissect what Bragg's law is, and we're gonna dissect this equation piece by piece to get an, an understanding of X-ray diffraction. But before we can even do this, why X-rays? Why not something else? Why, why not, not gamma rays? Yeah. Why not just like spit at the thing and then see what happens? Sure. <laughs> why not? Why not waterboard it and watch torment its family? Mommy. <laughs> um, and also, why crystals? Why? Why not coal? Or why? Why not something else? I can answer the crystals part. It's because our chakras are getting misaligned, <laughs> and Jupiter is ascending right now. So yeah, my my uh my moon phase isn't quite matched up with the crystal phase. Okay, so that makes total sense. Yeah, but to really get into this, right. <laughs> we're gonna have to take it back to one of my favorite episodes, which is why I'm kind of glad you mentioned Marie Curie. Love that gal because that's the episode I'm talking about. Nice. We're going to talk about atoms. Ooh. Yeah. For those who don't know, atoms are everywhere, everything, and all at once. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. I nice. wrote that down, and I was like, oh, if he doesn't get this. What are you talking about? I've seen the movie. What are I know, you talking it's about? It won the best picture. <laughs> it did. It was so good. It's a good movie. Everything, where All where the places. <laughs> whatever happens. And the things. It, do- it does it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sequel. Yeah, it does it. <laughs> so atoms contain protons and neutrons. And protons? Protons. <laughs> Jimmy Protron. <laughs> I thought of it too. <laughs> okay, so atoms contain protons. Love those. And neutrons in their nucleus. And the number of protons makes up an element. Question? Right. Uh, uh, electrons orbit the nucleus? Yes, they surround them. So, and that's why x-rays are used, because the cloud of electrons around an atom are at the same scale as x-ray radiation wavelengths. Whoa! Yeah, so that's why it, it, can, it can bounce off. Oh my, wait, that, that's so weird. I know, like, it's weird to think that there's, like, a physical component, like, literally the size of the wave mm-hmm. means that it can bounce. Like, it, yeah, it's just it, a weird it, thing. Because it works. Yeah. yeah. And in case someone's like, oh my god, does that mean my atoms are just x-rays? Don't worry, they're not. Okay, good. <laughs> because but, oh, atoms, atoms are constantly trying to be equalized. Or trying, constantly trying to be equal. Going to, they're like at a, sorry, but, okay, this is going to sound really fucking stupid, <laughs> but so they're at a certain energy state, right? Yes. And if there's another atom that's at a dissimilar energy state, they'll yeah. share electrons until they get to equal energy states. Is from, that correct? From my understanding, yes. Okay. If there is a chemist or someone please that... Please don't. Like, <laughs> please don't embarrass me. I'm very our, fragile. <laughs> our egos are very strong. Okay, so since... The X-ray radiation wavelengths like matches the cloud of electrons. It means that the radiation can be deflected and scattered by the electrons of the atoms and the crystal. Uh, the deflected X-ray beams produce a, like a distribution, which is proportional to the scattering angle. And Bragg's laws you de- used to describe this. I know I threw a lot a lot at you, but basically, yeah. just we'll we'll get into Bragg's law in a second. And just understand that that's why x-rays are used, because they have the same wavelengths as electrons, and it just works. <laughs> so, I still don't understand why we use crystals, though. I'm so glad you asked that, because that's what we're about to talk about. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> Sorry. What a dumb reaction. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> Don't cut that out. I won't. <laughs> okay, so crystals are used because the diffraction pattern from a molecule, which is like a bunch of atoms bonded together, um, is is in, in, is, sig- is significant. Oh my god, I cannot talk. It's the Weekend Vibes uh, Coronado Brewing Company IPA India Pale Ale. True. Um, identical molecules in a crystal crystal amplify the, the pattern. So I know it's I know it's kind of confusing. I I wrote it in a way that might not have been the best, but to kind of get into that statement a little bit, um, I want to remind you that crystals have symmetrical and repeating molecular structure. Right. And having that structure helps create more opportunities for a diffraction to be successful. So let me let me explain it in a way. That's like, uh, okay, think about like a row of people. Right. They all are the same height, the same weight. They're wearing the same exact thing. You know, sure. all, all. I don't know why I imagined a black polo shirt. But oh, okay. <laughs> they're, but they're, they're all like evenly spaced apart. And it's like, let's say it's like five rows of five. Okay. Yeah. E- evenly spaced, same weight, same height, same ev- same everything. Sure. Um, and let's say, like, they're all wearing yellow hats. And then, for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to say you're, like, beaming a, a light source at them at, like, a certain distance at, like, a 45-degree angle from the last row. And then there's a mirror on the other side, on the other side of the, the five rows of five people. What you get is you see on that mirror like a whole bunch of people wearing yellow hats. And that's what you want because then you can sort of understand like the distance, the, the, the height, the weight, like of the people wearing yellow hats. Now imagine you have people wearing blue hats and yellow hats. Uh-huh. And then you do the same thing. Well, you don't want the, you don't give a fuck about people wearing blue hats. You only want to see the yellow hats. You only want to see like, you know, what their weight, what their height, what their distance is from other people wearing yellow hats. Does that kind of make sense? The analogy is totally escaping me. Oh, no. Okay. I don't... Yeah. It's because to determine, like, a molecule or to get even further into that, an atom, it's easier to get um, a diffraction out of a crystal because the, the molecules are symmetrical. Okay, I feel like I was kind of following along there. I yeah. don't understand what the hats thing is. It's just an example. It's okay, just okay. an example. So can I tell you my understanding of what's going on and you tell me if this is right or not? Yes. Okay, so my understanding is that you, as a human, mm-hmm. are taking x-rays. Mm-hmm. And you're pointing them at a crystal? Is that a thing you can do? Yes. Okay, so you're doing that. And then... The x-rays are bouncing off of the crystal mm-hmm. in a certain manner. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is what the analogy is supposed to be, but basically the way the x-ray bounces off the crystal, it essentially acts as like some kind of a filter for only the x-rays that you want to see. Is that correct? For, for only like the molecules or atoms that you want to see. So... uh what do you mean by the molecules and the atoms? I want? Like, where is that? Like, if I'm a human and I'm setting this up on a table, I have my crystal 
set on the table. I have my x-rays beaming towards the crystal. Mm-hmm. Where are the atoms that I want to see? The the atoms or let's just start off with the let's just start off with the molecules, which is just basically a bunch of atoms combined together. Right. So everything in this like the x-ray wavelengths, everything is incredibly tiny. It's like like, you know, nano nanometers kind of thing. Not even microns, like Nano nanometers. <laughs> Almost like Are you, you man- just said. mansplaining this to me. <laughs> I'm actually mansplaining it to you. So if you'll remember, X-ray beams or X-ray wavelengths are the same as electrons. So when you have that X-ray hit that crystal or the the atoms or the molecular structure, it will. The X-ray beam will also hit those electrons, it'll, and then it'll bounce off, off of that crystal, and hit like a, a detector. And the detector has the atoms or the molecules mm-hmm. that you're trying to detect. Exactly. Okay. And it's easier when the um, when the object that you're tr- that you're using is a crystal because it's more it's more structured. It's more symmetrical. Instead of just like having like a whole bunch of like random things everywhere, you have things that are in line, in row, symmetrical. Everything makes sense and is in order. So can I tell you my new understanding? And you yeah. tell me if that, okay. So you're shooting an X-ray. Yes. Which I now gather is not a uniform symmetrical thing. It's like a big jumble of signals. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. You shoot it at the crystal. And the crystal basically says, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and it lines the x-rays up into a measurable and sort of controlled pattern. Yes. Then that measurable and controlled now pattern, you'd almost say filtered, but it's not really filtered. It's yeah. more like lined up uh-huh. version of the x-ray now bounces off of any material or or maybe some subset of materials mm-hmm. and now because of that then this is where my understanding start to break down somehow the way that x-ray now hits that material you can tell what that material is yeah and that's kind of where we'll get into bragg's law a little bit and okay. x-ray crystallography which is the actual physical sort of like you know um it the crystallography is like the visual representation of what's going on. And okay. you see why people spend their whole lives doing this? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Bragg's Law. It's interesting. It gets, if you thought you were having a good time now, wait until I get into this. So as we've said before, X-ray beams con- contact a crystal but for Bragg's law, it needs to be at a certain angle, or theta. And it is reflected off the atoms of the crystal with that same angle. So, like, let's say you have an X-ray beam that you want to go towards a crystal. You set it at, like, 45 degrees. Right. That beam will reflect off the crystal at 45 degrees as well. Makes, Makes total sense. sense. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and the X-rays will reflect off... Of the atomic plane or the crystal at a certain distance apart as well which is where the d sort of ties into the equation which will you remember is like n lambda equals 2d sine theta sorry what was d again 
D is the distance from which you're got it. You're yep. sending yep. the the beam of X-ray. Sure. Okay, we've got that. Okay. We've got the distance, and we understand where the angle is coming from. Now gotcha. let's get into the n lambda, which is constructive versus destructive interference with x-rays i shouldn't have gone so hard on the weekend vibes ipa i know i know do you see why it, it i like i said people spend their whole lives doing this is this all gonna cash out to like Rosalind franklin is smart like, yes basically <laughs> basically she's very very smart okay okay so, some of you may be wondering, um, if you're still listening. <laughs> what is, All two of you. Yeah. What is constructive and destructive interference? Well, I'll tell you. And also, you may be wondering, oh, why the fuck is it important? I'll tell you as well. Tell we'll, me. We'll just get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get into okay. it. So... X-rays, similar to light, can go in all different directions, you know? Right. And may interact or interfere with each other. Right. Like, you know how, like, like right now, for example, this room, we have a light above us, we yep. have a light to the side, and then we have another light in the hallway. Sure do. Those light waves are all interacting. They're all interfering and getting, discom- you know... Yeah, yeah, doing doing things to each other. They're doing, doing sick shit. They're doing nasty. Nasty. Whenever they They're interfere, at the swingers club. Whenever they interfere, they do horrible, sick horrible, things that disgusting. just should not be talked about. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Same thing with X-rays. They get right. really into it. They get nasty. <laughs> yep. Okay, so <laughs> X-rays travel in waves, basically. Yes, <laughs> that's that. So that means there can be two parallel waves of X-rays that can either be constructive or destructive. <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a dick. No, I thought of something else that's no. like, it's like two X-rays mm-hmm. and I'm imagining it as a sine wave. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking of constructive and destructive interference, which sounds like adding them together. Mm. And what, but, but what happens when you overlay two X-ray sine waves on top of each other? Mm-hmm. You get a double helix, a little foreshadowing Ooh, for where this podcast is going. Interesting. I kind of like it's it. It's a stylistic okay. thing. We'll get ChatGPT on it. Okay. Okay. When it is constructive, the parallel X-ray waves peaks align. So you know when you think of a wave, like think of an ocean wave. You know how mm-hmm. it dips down and then it gets it really high, yep, and yep. that dip down and then that peak. Yes. For now, imagine that. But very, very tiny. Sure. <laughs> and that's an x-ray wave. Right. And constructive is when those peaks match up. Right. So this, in the ocean, this would be an analogy of like you have one wave mm-hmm. and then a bigger wave comes through. Mm-hmm. And for the briefest second, as the bigger wave is coming through, their peaks combine their and you get an even combined. bigger peak. Yeah. Well, in this case, it doesn't necessarily, like they don't necessarily have to be bigger peaks when they're combined it's because they're Wouldn't parallel they be additive no no because they're parallel waves oh yeah it's like two two waves that are parallel so they're kind of next to each next other. next to each other gotcha. yes okay. exactly right, sure. um and destructive is when like the peaks don't align so it's like like right. one one wave is at its peak and then the wave next to it is at its lowest point it's trough uh, yep i believe that's the term <laughs> mm-hmm 
So, you know what constructive versus destructive interference. But what the heck does that have to do with x-ray diffraction? I have no clue. Well, don't worry. I'll tell you. Thank you. Um, I wrote down, well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) No, no, you didn't. Um, But maybe one of our listeners did in their car while they're driving to work. (laughs) If they're still, they're just screaming at the thing, just like, stop talking about this. Yes. Okay. We won't. (laughs) Yeah. No, we'll go on for a while. (laughs) To get constructive interference, which is what you want, the difference in path length between path lengths between the beams reflecting off of an atomic plane must be a whole number or n of wavelengths or lambda which explains the n lambda part of the equation wait can we sorry (laughs) why does it have to be a whole number um because if it if it's not a whole number because remember those peaks Mm -hmm. are together yes so if it's not a whole number then if it's slightly off then it's not going to be a whole number. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, but like, why would it not just add together, but not the whole amount? You know, you'd get some fraction of... Or is the adding together thing even happening? It's not, it's not like adding two wavelengths together. Well, it kind of is. It's like, it's either, it's either a whole number or it's not. So, um... So what like physically is happening? Like, well, no, that's that's a dumb question. Don't answer that. Is like, I guess what I'm really trying to ask is like, when you have constructive interference, mm-hmm. why is that not the two waves adding together? It well, you know what it it's Sorry. it's not so much addition. I guess I explained that wrong. It's not so much addition. It's like. Um, it's just making sure it matches up. And when it matches up, like, what would you want to do in an equation? Be like, oh, yeah, when this matches up, it's like 3 dash or 3.756. Like, it makes more sense in this context for it to just be a whole number. But why would it not be, like, partially constructive? Like, are you just trying to figure out if it's constructive or destructive, or are you trying to figure out how constructive or destructive it is? I think you're trying to figure out how constructive and destructive it is. So then why would it not be scaled by a non-whole number? It can be scaled by a a non-whole number. Like, it it can be, like, instead of being, like, 1 lambda, it can be, like, 0.9 lambda, 0.8 lambda, but that also correlates to the accuracy of your results. Oh, I see. Because remember, this is an equation. Right, okay. Yeah, that's explaining diffraction. Sure. Um, Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes some amount of sense. I think I get where you're coming from. Yes. So, like I said, you don't want destructive because it, it makes it less accurate in terms of getting like like uh like an the results of an equation that you want right. you know yeah so at the end of all of this you are now able to determine the wavelengths the distance and the angle that an x-ray beam produces and how a crystal will change those variables after it gotcha. is reflected yeah gotcha. exactly so that's the equation math side of it nice um that was elucidating yeah and so i know those those concepts are very interesting very (laughs) intricate (laughs) Uh, 
Thank you for sticking <laughs> with it, our one viewer. Yeah, and um, this will lead to a lot of things, but like, what does it? What does it mean? What is this? What does this have to do with DNA structure? X-ray crystallography! Exclamation point. What is it good for? Yeah. Don't worry, little Padawan. This is where <laughs> the fun begins. <laughs> Tell me you didn't write that. <laughs> I did. I did. And then I wrote X-ray crystallography. <laughs> So that wasn't even X-ray crystallography. That was diffraction. That was diffraction. The, the theory of diffraction, and right. specifically Bragg's law, which is not the only not law. The, okay, which sure. is not yeah, the only law. It is, but is mainly used um, uh, in like the early 20th century. There's like a whole bunch of other methods that were used, you know, right. Ten like decades ago, and then yeah. Bragg came along and he was like, "I got this." Started which, bragging about it too. He started bragging about it, yeah. Um, but that's Bragg's law. Which is just to determine, like, like, determine the phenomena of diffraction using his equation. But right. so X-ray crystallography, you may know her, you may love her, but <laughs> if you don't, let me explain who she is. <laughs> I did write that down. Yeah, I figured, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The aim of X-ray crystallography is to obtain a three-dimensional, or not, sorry, not three-dimensional, a, a visual of the molecular structure from a crystal. So, and, you know, like I said, Bragg's Law, they were kind of, it was kind of like a theory and just like a bunch of equations to prove that this, this crystal will, will show this or that based off the wavelengths and the distance. And this is the visual confirmation that the, the equation works. Gotcha. So this physical process requires a few main items. First, the X ray source. Obviously. Yeah. Then the optical source. So is that the crystal? Yes, and a couple other things. And lastly, the detector. And that's the material. Yes, and I'll get into... We already know the x-ray source. We got it. We got it. Yeah, it's just an x-ray beam that will be used it's on the crystal. Science. Yeah, we've already... We, are, we get it. We get it, yeah. Um, Rosalind Franklin actually used a fine-focus x-ray machine from her experiments that was created at Birkbeck College of London. Yeah, she was like, I'd love to buy this from you. And they're like, Queen, no, here is a prototype. They just gave it. <laughs> they just gave the prototype to That's her. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, the optical source, which is the second component that I previously mentioned, is where a goniometer is needed. A goniometer. I keep wanting to say groin meter. Because <laughs> it's like OI. Yeah, I want to say groin meter so badly. Do you think it was intentionally named that way? Maybe no, no. It has to be Latin based. Goniometer. Goniometer or Greek maybe. Yeah. So, <laughs> a groin meter. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've found. That, I think I've seen the groin meter on on the ads on Pornhub.com. <laughs> <laughs> a goniometer is where the crystal will be mounted and adjusted so that the angle of x-ray beams can be determined. It's just basically a protractor. Sure. Um, but a small lead pellet is put up between the goniometer and x-ray, detre- x-ray detector, which is the last component. Gotcha. Um, and it's just mainly to help prevent overexposure. Sure. You know, there's a lot of x-rays going on. There's a lot of a radiation. Lead. You need a little lead. It's like I have my x-rays. They, they shield themselves against x-rays. And nowadays we don't like eat lead anymore. Mm-hmm. But back in the day they did both. Yeah. 
I didn't follow that, but <laughs> I'm not sure I did either. Okay. These these weekend vibes IPAs are, are hitting. I know I, they're mm, really good. I I like am sucking it down like it's, it's like, like it's, it's water. Apple juice yeah, or water. What are we children? Apple I don't juice. Know. I, don't I, know. I I actually Capri I like. Sun? I, I, don't know. I really love. I saw a TikTok once where this like brother was like. Mom, she drank nine of my Capri Suns. And then it zooms in on the sister just like with a shit-eating smile like drinking a Capri Sun. Dude, fuck yes. <laughs> Have you seen the adult Capri Suns? No. I believe this was also a TikTok. It was like, here's how you make adult Capri Suns. And it's like, <laughs> you pour out a bunch of Capri Suns and then you put in like vodka and like a bunch of shit. And you can use a hair straightener to like what? close them back up. What? So you just punch the straw in and you're drinking like vodka Capri Suns. Dude, why didn't Rosalind Franklin figure this out instead of x-ray diffraction? <laughs> you know, I love this x-ray diffraction stuff, but that would have been a contribution. Yeah. <laughs> contribution to science. DNA structure? Who needs it? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, the last portion of the x-ray detector that captures it, or the last portion x-ray detector. Guess what it does? It, it captures, I'm going to, I'm going to answer for you. Sure. <laughs> it captures the diffraction of the crystal itself because it is a photographic plate. Nice. And that's how it's visually represented. So for example, um, Franklin, you know, she, she had her whole setup and everything, and she actually had a photographic plate that was used to capture the infamous photograph 51, which was used to determine the structure of DNA. Nice. What, yeah. what is this infamous photo? Is it, it'll come back. Don't it Sounds worry. like a little Chekhov's gun. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll get into it. Yes. Um, the principle behind a photographic plate is that there will be certain chemicals in the plate that when radiated light is exposed to it, these light-sensitive chemicals will react and either become opaque or dark, depending on the amount of exposure. Sure. And that's how, you know, you get the image. That just makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I concur. So, what have we learned today, class? Diffraction. What is it? Uh, there's the blue and yellow hats. Yes. Good job. It is the complicated constructive... Oh, whoops. Nope. That... I... My computer jumped to... <laughs> so whoopsies. Um, <laughs> I have to find my place again. So I'll just riff off of this while you're waiting. Um, what is diffraction? Oh well, my god. Why is my computer such a piece a lot, of like shit? diffusion, but... Uh, it's more of a diffracty form. <laughs> diffracty form? Yeah. Okay, it's just a phenomenon in which atoms of a crystal cause interference or waves that can be captured when x-ray beams are present. Love it. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun to learn about. I enjoyed it. I'm going to be honest. I enjoyed it. I spent it. four hours. I feel like I was like barely skimming the surface of what this really is. You said people devote their lives to it. They really do. And this is like... In the 1950s, they were able to do this. The technology today is even crazier. This is like that freaking, like, it reminds me of our SR-71 Blackbird episode mm -hmm. where, like, I didn't give a fuck about radar going in. Yeah. And by the end, I was like, radar's awesome. And it's like, mm -hmm. frankly, when you said X-ray diffraction, I went instead just like, fuck. We have to <laughs> talk about this bullshit. And now I'm, like, hype. Yeah. It's like, like, nowadays, it's used to... Get the molecular and atomic structure of like influenza viruses. Ooh. 
Yeah, it's insane. Maybe they can use to to prove COVID came from a lab. Wuhan Institute of Virology, folks. Look it up online. There's a John Stewart bit. Look that up too. No, 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 no. Okay. We're getting the flag. Yeah. So we're familiar with X-ray diffraction. We're familiar with X-ray crystallography. Yep. Now let's get back to the present, or in this case, 1949, Rosalind Franklin. Although she was very happy in France. She wanted to go back home in England. Ooh. You know, that's her home. Why would you want to do that? I know. France to England? That's the it's, wrong way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Stay, girl. Stay, girl. You're in Paris. <laughs> go find a, a you know, wee-wee. Uh, oh, wee-wee? Go find a wee-wee. Oh, go find a wee-wee, yeah. Um, so her friend Charles Coulson, a theoretical chemist, suggested she look into doing X-ray diffraction studies of large biological molecules. Sure. So, and again, around this time, DNA, hot topic. Hot topic. Finding the structure of DNA was very important in the scientific world. So work and research related to this was also important. Okay. And without such, without such knowledge, hereditary and re- reproduction could not be understood. It was like, it was termed like understanding us or something like that Ooh, yeah. I li- it's like the their version of the human genome project yeah exactly like to understand dna was to understand the the human right on its like on its like most basic level and rendering us down from in the 1700s divine creatures now to the base material <laughs> animals that just hunt and fuck <laughs> Can you not? You're sorry. scaring me. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm scared. <laughs> I can walk away. I'd like to. I'd like folks to know that I respect your autonomy, and I'm willing to walk away and take direction, even once I've had one or two of these wonderful weekend vibes. One and days. a half. I sp- I split it. Haven't even had the whole thing. I know. So. I haven't either. But I can tarns. definitely tell you. <laughs> it's, you're feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? How can you tell? I don't know. It's just something about the way that you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so in 1950, after fleeing uh, Paris, France, after doing horrible damage to coal there as well. <laughs> coal there? Coal there as well. Oh, coal. Remember, because <laughs> yeah. she's waterboarding Sorry, families. Sorry, I misheard you. Yes, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I, the, it was a good bit. <laughs> so she's in England. She's awarded a three-year fellowship to work in a biophysics unit at King's College London. Yes. It's a tangent. It's, oh, it's just go. Fun. Just go for the it. The word fellowship always sounded weird to me. I like, know. Like, it's not a grant. It's like, you're not Frodo Baggins. I know. <laughs> you're nothing. You're nothing well, compared not to Frodo. Right? I mean, Sam was the real hero. But I hey, know. Okay. But she did she carry the ring to Mordor? No. No. And she'll never be able to. Because she's she's dead. She's She's been dead for a while. You don't know that. No, it's confirmed. Oh, <laughs> she okay. She died a horrible... Wait, what? Really? No, no. I'm oh, just okay. kidding. But I'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Um, Randall had... Or, or, this is Randall's biophysics unit. Um, Randall had originally planned to have Franklin build up a crystallography section and work on analyzing proteins. And remember, this is like 1950. This She's is 30. amazing. She's 30. She's 30. And frankly, I mean, I hope this isn't like offensive to say, but it's, it's amazing that like a woman is being given this sort of opportunity in this time. I concur. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I agree. It probably speaks to her, her, you know, just extreme competence. Yes. I, when I hit 30, I doubt I will have started an x-ray crystallography uh, department at 
any university. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're if you're thinking to yourself, oh my god, she's done so much. Don't worry, she had to face a lot of sexism. That just makes it more impressive. <laughs> I know. That doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but okay, let's let's get back on on uh, on topic. So. So at the suggestion suggestion of the assistant lab chief, Maurice Wilkins, keep him in mind. He's an important player. Max, um, got it. Just kidding. <laughs> Randall asked Franklin to investigate DNA instead. So Randall originally wanted her to do proteins, and then Maurice Wilkins were like, was like, you know, DNA is kind of here and uh, hopping. You know, what if she did that instead? And it's like the way all the startup founders now are trying to shoehorn AI into their stuff because it's like a hot topic now. Exactly. So she moved to DNA. Um, and during this time, Wilkins had also been doing X-ray diffraction and had actually had a couple of good, you know, DNA samples. So he was getting somewhere, you know. He was getting the research done. He was making progress. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of where there was, a, like, a little bit of miscommunication between Randall, Rosalind, and Maurice Wilkins. So originally, I believe Maurice Wilkins had expected that he and Franklin would work together. Nice. Kind of. Like, not necessarily as equals, but sure. close enough. Close enough. But uh, Randall's communication to Franklin... Oh, excuse me. The weekend vibes is coming up. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, not that way. <laughs> just burps. <laughs> sure. But uh, Randall's communication to Franklin didn't really convey this. So Uh-oh. Franklin was like... She was, you know, she was under the assumption that, like, Maurice Wilkins would not work as equals but sort of work underneath her and then he was thinking oh we're equals blah 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 okay and then um graduate graduate student raymond gosling uh would help rosalind franklin with her dna work ancestor of ryan gosling by any chance i don't know i don't know but um her relations with wilkins suffered from this misunderstanding quite a lot um and it didn't really appear that Franklin actually enjoyed the culture at King's College because sure. it was less of a collegial culture, which led to some unhappiness with her position. Not that I'm I'm struggling here, but what do you mean by collegial? Um, I guess like when you go from Cambridge to Paris, like King's College is very good, but I imagine like um, the Cavendish Laboratory has like. You know, the world's at, top. People. The world's top, sure, exactly. Sure. And even though King's College did have a lot of well-known scientists and X-ray crystallography, you know, there's like sort of like, uh, like, you know, it's it, yeah, like I get Cambridge it. is home, you know. Steve Jobs, you know, said, you know, A players they don't even want to work with B players. They yeah. only want to work with A players. Yeah, and also it didn't really help that when. <laughs> Franklin and Maurice Wilkins, like, first initially met. He thought that she was uh, his, what was it, his assistant, not assistant, um, front desk lady or whatever. That's derogatory. I mean, I, I could I could see how she would take that personally. Yeah, so since their first meeting, within the six months of her arrival at King's College. There's a little tension. Yeah, they were having very little to do with each other. And again, part of that is like, you know, miscommunication. And then um, Maurice Wilkins was like, oh, aren't you my, uh, my, uh, what is it called? Assistant? Assistant? No, not assistant. Receptionist? Receptionist, yeah. 
He's like, aren't you my receptionist? And Rosalind and Franklin's like, I'm smarter than you. Actually, I'm your boss, douchebag. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're fired. Exactly. So, um, but, I mean, working at King, King's College, Franklin, Rosalind Franklin did take increasingly clear x-ray diffraction photos of DNA and quickly discovered that there were two forms, wet and dry, which produced very different pictures. Of DNA, sorry? Of, of DNA. Of, yeah, exactly. Interesting. The wet form, she realized, was probably helical in structure with the phosphates on the outside. Um, and sorry, what are the phosphates? It's, it's like the... When you think of DNA, you think of, you know, the, the... The double helix. The double helix. And then the backbone of the DNA are the phosphate chains. And that makes, makes it up on the outside. Gotcha. And then you have the ACTG on the inside. Are the ACTG the little uh, the little like bar thingies? Yeah, Got exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, folks know what I'm talking. Like <laughs> the, the the little rungs. If it was a ladder, the little rungs. Yeah. Um, so moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the only problem was her mathematical analysis of the dry form of di- diffractions did not indicate a helical structure. So she spent a lot of time trying to resolve the differences and figure out what was going on. Why do they need the same structure? Well, it's like... So, from my understanding, it just... They need the... they. It's not that they... They, they need the same structure because it doesn't make sense. You know? It's like... Um, you know, it's like you put something in water, like you put like... Oh, uh, you don't expect its entire structure to, to be like, Yeah, exactly. Like sure. you put like a piece of paper in water, you don't expect it to like fold into yeah. like, you know, completely different forms. But Generally, yeah. 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 Um, but by early 1953, she had figured it out. You know, she had gotten better pictures, better, not math equations, but she had refined <laughs> her equations True. so that both forms matched up and had two helices, or the, the double helix. Right. Meanwhile, at the Cavendish Laboratory at Cambridge, Francis Crick and James Watson were working on their own theoretical model of DNA. And who are these cats? I'm so glad you asked, because now we get into the main players. Our dramatis personae. What? <laughs> it's a literature thing. Okay. <laughs> Who the fuck is Francis Crick? <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the episode right there. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> um, Francis Crick was a guy born in England. <laughs> sure. <laughs> He's just a random man. They got him off the street, actually. Yeah. <laughs> So he um, studied. I'm. <laughs> One of our neighbors just screamed. <laughs> yeah. Um, he studied physics at University College of London, um, a constituent college of the University of London. London. So kind of think about, you know, there's colleges that are attached to universities, kind of thing. I'm well aware. Yeah. Thank you. And <laughs> earned a bachelor of science degree. In 1937, uh, he began his PhD also at UCL or University of College, and um, but also worked at the Cavendish Laboratory and Medical Research Council Lab of Molecular Biology in Cambridge. Does that make sense? 
That makes sense. Okay. So he's getting his PhD, also doing research at Cavendish Laboratory at Cambridge. Right. Um, in 1947, age 31, Crick began studying biology and became part of an important migration of physical scientists into biology research. So, you know, a lot of physicists, like, there's a fair amount of crossover between physics and biology. So he's sort of transitioning from physics into biology as well. Right. So he's got both both feet in. Feet in both camps. Exactly. He's doing what controversial and not saying I follow this guy, <laughs> but he's doing what Scott Adams would call a skill stack. Yes. Who's Scott Adams? A highly controversial dude who said recently something on a live stream that sounded super racist. <laughs> And yes, no. I agree the media blew it out of proportion, oh but it was God. also a really no, no, fucking no, no, weird no, no, thing no, to no, say. No, 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 Scott. Anyway, um, but anyway, long story short. Anyways. He made Dilbert. Have you ever read Dilbert? No. It's like a cartoon. Anyway, it, it, it doesn't matter. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's Anyways. just got, he's a generalist. Anyway, He's a generalist. <laughs> um, so this migration of physics into biology was made possible by Randall. <laughs> oh my god our neighbor agrees <laughs> our neighbor just screamed no he didn't <laughs> i hope that you can pick that up on video on uh, audio oh uh, okay so crick <laughs> perfectly timed crick um described this adjustment as elegance and deep simplicity of physics to the elaborate chemical mechanisms that natural selection had evolved over billions of years as biology. So. Well, you know, you think biology is just uh, almost in a certain sense a subset of chemistry. Yeah, they're and all... Chemistry is a subset linked. of physics. You know, yeah, I find that almost beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's there's just higher orders. There's like, it's it almost reminds me of... Um, avatar sure <laughs> the there's like a episode where ang visits a great tree in a swamp and he's like everything is connected and then wow. that's kind of how biology and chemistry and physics are is on mushrooms um no he was just i don't know he's just smart i guess he's a smart guy yeah um he also described the transition as almost as if one had to be born again I tried to like, be a British accent. <laughs> into going into the other field. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. So he worked for the better part of two years on the physical properties of cytoplasm at Cambridge's uh, research laboratory until he joined Max Perutz at Cavendish Laboratory. Ooh. There's a lot of labs at Cambridge. Max Perutz being our, our Max, friend. Our Max, yes, that guy. Love that guy. Mm-hmm. Went on a little bit of a forced vacation there. Yeah, you know, it's okay. At the same time, um, uh, Bragg's, at the same time, Bragg's Cavendish Laboratory? At the same time, the Cavendish Laboratory was also effectively competing with King's College London. Ooh. Too bad we don't know anybody who's doing research there. So crazy. (laughs) Um, the biophysics department was under the direction of Randall, who, again, had also, like, sort of inspired Crick to dip his feet into, into physics and biology. The only thing is, is uh, Crick had applied to work at King's College and Randall had refused him. Oof. 
Yeah. So what the hell? I thought it wasn't he kind of a mentor figure almost. Uh, kind of like you know. Listen, I like. I like you, pal, uh, but I don't like you that much. Yeah, it's it's interesting. That's all I gotta say. Is I. Maybe they, uh, maybe he's just like, you're just not up to snuff. You're not quite what I'm looking for. Listen, Frank, you're a good kid. Francis, if, if you will. <laughs> you got a good head on your shoulders. <laughs> My crew, we run seven days a week, 24-7. All right? You're a little kid from South <laughs> Philly. You're not going to be able to handle that kind of bullshit. You don't want to stand, boss? This is my life. This is my love. I'll do it. Frankie, stick to the <laughs> newspaper, Ralph. It's better for you, really. I'll prove you wrong, boss. All right. <laughs> okay, so this was horrible. <laughs> so Frankie <laughs> um, and Maurice Wilkins were like personal friends um, during this time as well. Like, I like to imagine, you know, they're all going to the same conferences. Yeah. They're all going to the same lectures. They probably bonded. It's a tight-knit community. Exactly. It's a small town. It's a small town, Frankie. You make a lot of friends. But boss. <laughs> no, let's not. Let's not all do right. that. Okay. So, <laughs> Crick or Frankie is friends with Wilkins, who thought Rosalind was his secretary. Right. Now let's get into who the fuck is Watson? Jim Watson? James Watson. Did Jim. you go by Jim? I don't know. I wasn't friends with him. Okay. I right. <laughs> he was born in Chicago. Ooh, Chi-Town. Yeah. Chi-Rack. Yes. Um, but he was born in June of 1928. So hadn't really, wasn't Chi-Rack at that point. You don't know. What do you know about Chirac in 1928? I don't, I don't know. Folks, if you don't know, Chirac <laughs> is often like... It, there's a lot of murder in Chicago, so sometimes people call it Chirac because there's a lot of gunfighting that happens there and folks compare it to the violence that sometimes happens in the Middle East. Yes, anyways. <laughs> um, this guy, for all intents and purposes, he seemed like a genius. He graduated University of Chicago at... 15. Whoa. Yeah. So, ah, oh, I hate people like that, though. I it's know. like, ugh. Yeah. Um, from his PhD virus research at Indiana University and... <laughs> and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. <laughs> and, and from experiment, experiments of Canadian-born um, bacteriologist Oswald Avery, uh, Watson became convinced that the gene could be understood only after something was known about nucleic acid molecules so he was also invested in dna sure. and like the hereditary traits and the structure and all of that um he learned that scientists working in the cavendish laboratory at cambridge were using photographic patterns made at, made by x-rays um to study the structure of protein molecules and dna nice so he went to cavendish laboratory that's kind of the through line yeah and this was in 1951 and this is, so 51, so um, Franklin has left by this point to go to King's College. Uh, or, or Paris, I guess. No, um, Franklin is in Paris until in 1948 to 1949. In 1950, she goes to King's College. So she's at King's College right now. She's at King's College, but Cavendish Lab is at Cambridge, right? Yes. Okay, but they're both in the UK. Yes, they're both in the UK. Um, so 1951... 
Rosalind's at King's College. Crick is at Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge. And at this time, Watson is also at the Cavendish Laboratory in 1951. Right. Um, There he learned X-ray diffraction and worked with Crick on the problem of DNA structure. Um, So that's fun. Maurice Wilkins. Well, we know a little bit about him. Sure. But did you know that he was born in New Zealand? I I didn't know that, no. Yeah, he was um, educated at King Edward School in Birmingham, England, and also went to Cambridge, but it was St. John's College in Cambridge. Gotcha. Um, His doctoral thesis completed for the University of uh, Birmingham in 1940 contained his original formula of the electron trap theory of phosphorescence and thermoluminescence. We don't have to really get into that. I thought okay. it was just kind of fun. He's very he's very smart. Like, these people are all very smart. Top level, top minds. Yeah. Um, he participated for two years during World War II in the Manhattan Project at Berkeley. So he's smart, smart. <laughs> yes. Um, but upon his return to England, Wilkins lectured at St. Andrews in Scotland for a little bit, which I believe is where Prince... Uh, whatever, not Harry, the other one, Prince Charles. Char- no, 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 the, the brother. What is his name? I don't Prince, know jack shit about Prince Gabagool. <laughs> Prince Gabagool. They would never let one of oh, my people in. Oh my God, what is his name? Edward. No, it's not Edward. It's Victor. Hector. <laughs> it's not Hector. <laughs> Prince. Gonzalez. Um, not Gonzalez. Um, oh my God, it's Harry. not. Harry. It's not Prince Harry. <laughs> uh, William. William, I think. (laughs) He went to St. Andrews. Cool. Um, Just a fun little fact. Who was the one who fought in Afghanistan? That was Andrew. That was Andrew? Okay. Yeah, he also... Oh, like, was a pedophile? (laughs) Yeah, he was in the... uh, Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, he was part of that. this thing didn't get tagged already. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, and then 19- Folks, look up Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> no. Island, Bill Gates. Oh my god. Just Google all that. Can we not? <laughs> Sorry. Just <for> one day. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so tired, Paul. Okay. Um Wilkins joined King's College London in London in nineteen forty six. And in 1951, that's where he met Rosalind um, when she joined the X-ray crystallography research team. Love it. And he thought she was his secretary. (laughs) Don't love that. Yeah. Like many other scientists, including Rosalind and Wilkins and Crick and all that, they were all on the hunt to discover the structure of DNA and the key to unlocking the human genetic code. Wow. And a lot of them thought, this could be done through x-ray crystallography, which is why they're all there, blah, 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 you know. Um, but with Wilkins in this area, it had been unsuccessful for him. Sure. You know, it's a very precise... You're working with nanometers when you're doing x-ray crystallography, so it's very precise. You right. need to make sure the crystal is is right, you know. So you'll get... Sometimes you'll get, like, not a great image, and, you know. It happens. It happens. Um... He had failed to produce x-ray crystallography photographs that resulted in any usable data. So, you know, he was like, well, I am upset about this. (laughs) Sounds like he wasn't taking extreme ownership. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, I totally forgot to add. In Wilkins' memoir, he referred to Franklin as a rosy. 
and complained she had an attitude and was too independent. Hey, you know what? Maybe you were threatened by a woman who was, quote, too independent. Yeah, I wrote down angry face. <laughs> <laughs> like the little, like, greater than sign. And yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to kind of get a little bit of context for this, Wilkins struggling. He's like, x-ray crystallography, it's the new, it's the new science. We got it. We can do DNA structure. But only problem is all the photos I take are shit. Sorry, Wilkins. Franklin, Rosalind Franklin, she's like, you know what? My photographs are actually pretty damn good. Uh-oh. And I'm doing really great. Wilkins, pretty pissed, pretty upset, dedicated his life to this. And a woman? A woman? Of all people? <laughs> I think, you know what, maybe, dude, it's time to take a little extreme ownership. Say, if she's getting these kind of pictures and you've been doing this your whole life, why are you not getting those pictures? Exactly. Maybe you're just not (laughs) that good. Maybe you're not that guy, pal. Yeah, or maybe you could put aside your differences and work with her. Yeah, you could go 10x. You could go, like, you know, that's the crazy thing about science. 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4. It equals Mm -hmm. 10 because of Uh the way that human combinatorics of the human DNA works. And that's DNA structures that we learned from, well, largely from this group. Yeah. So Wilkins, working with, working at King's College, not good at crystallography, 1951. There you go. We have almost all, all the chess pieces. We have almost all the chess pieces Ooh, down. We meet now in this theater. <laughs> <laughs> Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> to finish up the chess pieces, 1951, England, we have... The, we know what's going on at King's College, Cavendish Laboratory. You got Crick and a Watson. They're okay at crystallography. Fine. Decent, even. Yeah, that's it. That's all the, that's all, that's all the chess pieces. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yep, well, you got it. Um, Watson and Crick, 1951. They know each other, bonded over similar interests in the research. They pursued DNA structure with a single-minded focus over the course of the next 18 months. Wow. Yeah, so while they're doing their research, obviously other scientists are coming out with their own findings on the composition of DNA. Sure, it's a hot topic. Yeah, for example, uh, Alexander Todd had determined that the backbone of the DNA molecule contained repeating phosphate and deoxyribose sugar groups. Sure. (laughs) I would well believe that. (laughs) And then Aaron Chargaff had found that uh, DNA had four types of bases, and that's where we co- we come up with the... The A, the D, a- sure. The A, C, T, G bases. There's no D? Nope, there's no D. E-C- Why didn't they just go A, B, C, D? Because people are stupid, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, okay, so we got that. We got that happening. Things are happening. It's 1951. <laughs> What? Why are you so intense all of a sudden? I'm just very sweaty. <laughs> it's very hot in here. Okay. I'm getting so intense because it's fucking intense. Okay? Fucking go time, okay? <laughs> and I'm sure, just like with all these new updates, you know, Watson and Crick, they're probably getting intense. They're probably sweating. They're probably stress sweating. They get to work and they start stress get some sweating. Sweaty pits. They, they, they got some sweaty pits. Because they're feeling the pressure, goddamn it. They're old spice sweaty pits version. <laughs> They've got it. They've got it. No doubt. <laughs> so they find themselves in a bit of a pickle. <laughs> um, especially because there had been another publication by another scientist, Linus Pauling. <laughs> 
Such a stupid name. No, it's not. That's a well-respected person. Linus Pauling? I think I've heard of that guy. No, I know. But Linus? <laughs> Couldn't have come up with a better name. He was named after the guy from Peanuts. Yeah, no, he wasn't. This is the 50s, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> when did Peanuts come out? I don't... Oh, shit. Right? What the fuck do I know? You don't know. Okay, so Linus Pauling, he had come up with his own theory that DNA had a triple helix structure. Nice. Watson and Crick are stress sweating even more. They're oh, like fuck. they're like, "Oh my god, we we need to come up with our own own triple helix DNA structure model." Fuck. And it turned out to to be a disaster. It wasn't real. It was horrible. Everybody like knows completely it's a double helix. embarrassing. Totally embarrassing. Yeah. So, for those who don't know, DNA structure, the correct structure, not a triple helix. Nope. It's a double helix with sugar phosphate bases on the outside. You want to know why I know that? Why do you know that? Because I listened to Death Grips. They what? They have a song called Double Helix. Oh! Okay. So these sugar phosphate bases on the outside act as the backbone. You know, sure. kind of the spine of the structure. Right. You know? And attached to each sugar is one of the four bases. You know, the ACTG. And those go on the inside. Right. Um... And the entire DNA structure surface is coated in layers of water molecules. This sort of like coating or sheath of water attaches to the genetic material or the the phosphate sugar um, backbone through hydrogen bonds. So that's why like DNA can store water. And I'll get into that in a second because it sort of like goes along with their theory because uh, Watson and Crick are like, you know, Water is somehow attached to DNA. It somehow right. needs to be incorporated into DNA. So their first model, disaster. It showed the triple helix base. So you understand now the how it is how it is actually structured, right? A double helix. A double helix. Sugar phosphates on the outside. Everything else on the inside. Right. Oh my God. Their their model showed a triple helix base. With the sugar phosphates in the middle. In the middle. middle. Yeah. How can you put the freaking sugar phosphates in the middle? These these dumb little beans. <laughs> can we walk it back a little? Yeah, they're not dumb. They're, <laughs> they're just not dumb. Do, they're just doing the best that they can. <laughs> we, we, I think it's the IPAs talking. Yeah. So each phosphate group that's in the middle, it is bound to one another by magnesium ion. Okay. And... This is in their model. This is really. in their model. Right. right. Yes. So the, they at first were like, you know, should we add the magnesium ion or not? It doesn't make sense because, you know, like they later figured out that with the magnesium ion, that's how like the water can be stored. And it sort of like repeats like this structure report, repeats every 2.8 nanometers, which sort of matched up with some of the good pictures that um rosalind franklin took and i'm sure by the way i'm sure sorry what are you gonna oh say? i was gonna say she took good photos but it wasn't the photo wasn't photo 51 it was not i was just gonna say you know jokes aside and ipa talk aside i'm sure it took a lot of work to come up with this model you know and i know we're just two assholes we're just two assholes with microphones talking in 2023 and i'm sure we have no fucking clue what like went into making this model yeah so, 
obviously, like, you know, everyone in here is a genius. They're all right. very smart. They yeah. have all dedicated their lives to this. They've put their heart and souls. They have three divorces between the two. If they don't. Oh. <laughs> I just imagine <laughs> that they do. Probably. <laughs> but that is their model. Triple helix, phosphates in the middle, magnesium ions to hold in water. Right. This is where it gets a little dicey. Uh-oh. A little dicey. Uh-oh. Watson and Crick wanted to check their model accurately against photographs of the x-ray crystallography. So they invited Wilkins and his colleagues from King's College to the lab, to Cavendish Lab. Including, perhaps... Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind Franklin, the bad bitch herself. When they arrived, Rosalind was very dismissive of their support for a helical for the triple helix. For the triple helix. Yeah. yeah, she pointed out the proposed three chain mo- mo- uh, molecule couldn't exist, as any available magnesium ions would be like too tightly bound by the water mo- molecules, and she would actually say that. Um, this DNA would contain 10 times the amount of water that they had initially thought. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, it, it just didn't work. It just wasn't going to work. Yeah. And she... This is where I get a little pissed off. Rosalind had actually stated the cor- correct amount of water that, you know, a, a DNA structure could hold at a talk in London, but <laughs> Watson had forgotten to... On the way back to Cambridge, he didn't didn't take take notes. notes. He didn't didn't take take notes. notes. And if he had taken notes, he would have realized that this probably wasn't going to work. So clearly he wasn't taking her talk very seriously. Yeah. It was just a woman. What is she on her period or something? Bet this dumb bitch is pregnant and just out of her mind. (laughs) I'm going to refrain from comments. Okay, good. Because you said some things too. What did I say? I I don't know. What? (laughs) This is just slander. This isn't true. Okay, so the the revelation of this incorrect model was... How would you feel? Like if I was Franklin? Yeah, you were... No, not Franklin. Watson and Crick. You were just schooled by a woman. Oh. Well, if I was schooled by a woman, I would be like, thank you. Now I have a better understanding. Okay, but you're a man in the 50s and you're incredibly sexist. This feels like you're saying me <laughs> up for failure. I don't want to answer this. They were embarrassed. Okay. They were embarrassed. Okay, they can be. That's um, fine. And their boss actually, after this, instructed Crick and or Watson and Crick to leave model building to King's College. Uh-oh. Their rival... Their rival. He Yikes. was he was like, you guys need to take a chill pill. Focus on what you're good at. Stop this. You need to stop this. Go back to protein. That's what you're good like, at. It's like Frankie. Leave this to the woman. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle this shit. Let the woman deal with it. Yeah. In the fifties, no less. In the fifties. They were told Crazy to time. leave it to a woman. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm unsure of how to react <laughs> appropriately. That's fair. <laughs> okay. So how did they go from getting just like a spanking from Rosalind uh, 
and getting chewed at by their boss to the most famous scientist in history. Well, I'll tell ya. Okay. I'll tell ya. Tell me. Let's go back to 1951. <laughs> I remember. We were, we were actually still kind of in 1951. Yeah, so. I don't think we ever leave or... <laughs> um, Maurice Wilkins. Rosalind Franklin. Guess how on good terms they are. Not, not, not good. Not <laughs> good. Not good. <laughs> um, they, they were not on good terms. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was very clarifying. Rosalind's doing her thing. She's, you know, kicking ass, making names. She's doing, she's doing some things with crystallography. She's taking good pictures. Sure. Wilkins sulking in the corner. <laughs> Eating his own shit. <laughs> Stop. This is a real person. Very sad. <laughs> Just like. He might still oh, be alive. I d- okay. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Um, okay, so you know he's they're they're doing things they're doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. It wasn't until about a year at King's College Lab that Rosalind Franklin and Raymond Gosling, grandfather of Ryan Gosling, <laughs> right, <laughs> took the infamous photograph fifty one. And some of you may be thinking, <laughs> which translates to what the fuck is photograph fifty one? Well, I'll tell you, it is a photograph. That <laughs> am I boring you? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, it's just a it's just a nice photograph <laughs> it, that clearly shows the double helix structure of DNA, Uh-oh. and combined with all the research that was done by Rosalind, it was more than enough to create a model that would change the world's understanding of DNA. So I'm hearing that Watson and Crick just got, as the kids would say. BTFO. BTFO? Blown the fuck out. Yeah. So, how how do we go from Rosalind Franklin taking the most... The, this photograph is still used in textbooks today. I've seen it. Yeah. How do we go from Rosalind Franklin doing that to Watson and Crick becoming the people that are known for DNA structure? Well, okay, this is... This is, this is there's a lot that's up for debate. And I have two main theories. There's really a lot of nuance and a lot of back and forth. I did say nuance. It is the word. It's a trigger word for me. It's a trigger word for you. There's a, there's, I'll just go into it. Okay. Okay. So wait, before we go into it, let's just be totally clear. It Mm -hmm. sounds like this account of how this happened might be a little disputed. Yes, because there are two sides to the story. One is Watson and Crick's and the other is Rosalind's who uh, dies quite shortly after all of this happens. Interesting. Um, She wasn't murdered. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, okay. I'll just get into the theories. Um, The first one was that Rosalind's research uh, was... (sighs) Okay. (sighs) Okay. So, the first one was that Rosalind's research was not confidential. You know, she, you know... Keep in mind, it's the 50s, you know, people are trying to put their name on the map for DNA structure. Sure. You know, I'm sure people don't want maybe necessarily to show everything that they're finding. So that's where this theory is coming from, is that Rosalind didn't want to show this photograph. She wanted to keep some stuff confidential. Um, But Maurice Wilkins uh, 
stole her photograph and shared it with Watson and Crick. Um, I watched a, a lecture at Birkbeck College of London, and mm-hmm. a professor said that this was possible, and then they shortly said, but with a big sigh, I don't want to get into it. So it's <laughs> so, a controversial, <laughs> depends who you talk to kind of thing. Exactly. Um, the second theory is that, it, you know, a lot of her research was sort of like public, you know, even though there are things, you know, that it's a scientific she community. She left it out on the, she left know, it bench out. Yeah. or whatever. Yeah, or like, you know, it's a scientific community. You want to inform your peers. Sure. You want to put a, a good step forward, a good step forward for not just yourself, but all science in general. So the second theory relates to that is that, uh, Wilkins um, shared the photograph with Watson and Crick as colleagues. Right. Um, and not like not stole like it. saying you can. Oh yeah, he not did, saying you yes. can publish this. Yeah, he just right. was like, "Look at this cool photo I found." <laughs> what On do you think? Desk. Yeah, that person that was locked like. up. Right. <laughs> Um, and again, whenever I tried to find like info on both sides, it was always like, uh, yeah, I don't want to get into it. (laughs) It it sounds like, I mean, from what I can tell, correct me if this is wrong. It sounds like both sides had a vested interest in one end of the situation being true. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like the public actually knows which is kind of a dangerous situation because you yes. can kind of fill in whatever narrative you, you would you, sort of default to. You can fill in the gaps with your own theories. Exactly. Yes. It's not dangerous, I guess, but it is, it's open for misinterpretation. Yeah. And, I, but the, the thing is, is like, I remember like when I was very, very young in high school, like seeing a documentary where, um, people actually said that they, that Wilkins like physically broke into her office and where she was keeping the photos. But again, like that side could be a little bit biased towards Rosalind. And then there's the other side with Watson and Crick, you know, who is also very biased. So that's why there's a lot of contention and a lot of debate between the two sides. So whatever decision that you come up with, just take both sides into account. And also remember the fact that this is the 50s. And she yeah. is a woman, and she's very smart. But also, everyone else is very smart, because how can you not be? Right. I The bottom line I'm hearing is take all the facts into account, make your own decision, come yes. to your own conclusion. Or I'd like to posit a third option, which mm-hmm. is the one I personally am going to take. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to be able to figure out what happened. No, I. It, this is like one of those mysteries that I think... Uh, you it's a know. lot of personal bias for me getting in the way, mm-hmm. and I'm going to choose to say I don't know. I think it would there would be less sort of conspiracy around the situation if Rosalind got more credit, but she yeah. didn't. Yeah. Because this is history and not her story. <laughs> I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> okay, so like I said, there's a lot of debate between the two camps, but what happened next is not up to debate because oh, <laughs> I just I just got to the history and her story joke. I I jumped on it too soon. Oh. Damn it. Next next year we should during Women's History Month we should change the name <laughs> to the Engineering Nursery Podcast. Yeah. Okay. So about a uh, shortly after um, this photograph by whatever means comes into Watson and Crick's hands, um, they made 
scientific history by publishing a new model of the DNA code in the scientific paper Nature, including the the crystallography photo and Franklin's research. Um, But uh, they didn't include her. Like, she's not accredited for her contribution or even mentioned, but Wilkins is. So it sounds like what's not up for debate is that at the very least Watson and Crick used her research yes without crediting her mm-hmm. and we can debate if we want whether or not that could have been considered public yeah so the theft factor we can keep that as contentious yeah but we can say with certainty that on just a moral and human and ethical level. You should have credited her. You should have. I mean, you didn't do the research. Maybe yeah. you replicated it. I don't yeah. even know. But like. I mean, look at the research that they were doing up to that. Like they were literally told to back off doing DNA structures because they couldn't even get it. They couldn't even take notes correctly. Francis they, was getting the Frankie talk. Yeah. And then like shortly after that, after they come across this photograph Suddenly, they're like heroes to the DNA world. I just find it. They never mentioned the person who took the photograph. Yeah. Well, he. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's kind of where the maybe not conspiracies, but that's where a lot of like the two theories come from. You know. Yeah, and and I don't have to. I think we're. I think we can be nuanced and say the theft question is still a debate. Mm -hmm. But. Just from everything, I've, I've never done independent research on this, but just from everything you've told me, it sounds like it's not debatable that at least on an ethical level they should have at least mentioned yes. her. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but, you know, now history just tells his story. His story, and not her story. <laughs> that was such a good pun two minutes ago. I know, I can't, I can't stop. So worth repeating. Yeah. But, okay, some of you may be asking, like, there was time for Rosalind to sort of get ahead of the curb. Like, maybe once she realized that they had the information that she had. Why like, didn't why she didn't she publish she... it? What a dumb lady. What a dumb woman. <laughs> woman should just stay in the kitchen and oh make babies. Um, what is she, on her period? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure I'm okay with Okay, this. for reference, I'm a woman. I'm allowed to make those jokes. Thank you for clarifying um, that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the reason Rosalind was hesitant to publish any of her research was because she wanted to be, like, not even 100% sure, like 110% sure that what she was publishing was correct because again this was doing diligence this yes it was gonna be this was gonna be attached to her name her reputation her everything and she's a woman in the 50s under like intense scrutiny like if she did anything like if she published the triple helix like watson and crick did she would be laughed out of the scientific community out exactly so that's kind of where i'm thinking like all of this hesitancy came from and she just she just want to make sure you know this is a very important milestone in scientific history takes pride in her work yeah um but obviously watson and crick got there first so rosalind franklin's response um was you know she she did eventually publish her own findings but it was more seen as like oh you just basically clarified like everything that these guys did they did all the work and they're not crediting her either so it was more just like okay so she's she's double checking them right right 
Yeah, it's it's quite sad. Um, but Franklin left King's College lab shortly after that and went to Birkbeck College to set up her own research lab. Yeah, fuck these guys. She doesn't need them. Yeah, she began collaborating with a scientist named Aaron Klug about the structure of viruses. Um, and this guy later won a Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1982. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. A lot later, too. Yeah. And this is where it gets really sad. Several years later, um, after 1951, 52, 53, when the whole DNA structure thing is going on, um, while on a trip to meet with scientists in the U.S., Franklin fell seriously ill. She was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, She fought the disease for a year and passed away in April 16th of 1958. She was only 38. She was very, very young, and it is speculated that she got ovarian cancer by exposure to radiation while doing x-ray crystallography. Wow. Yeah. It's sad. It's very, very sad. You know, I don't know if they knew really as much at the time. You know how, like, when you get an x-ray, the guy walks into the other room and stuff or whatever. I don't... Maybe they didn't know as much at the time. I mean... I'm trying, like, in the 50s, they were still fighting the um, radium girls battle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't, there was a lot to be learned about x-rays and radium and anything like that. So we get into the fallout, which is Watson and Crick won a Nobel Prize in 1962. And since Franklin was never credited in their published research, and she's like, she's dead at this time. Um, she never got any mention or prize to her name. So, yeah, that's it. It's very sad. Yeah, but, that's a sad ending. Yeah, but I'll leave you with this. And this is a letter from Rosalind to her father. And it says, Science and everyday life cannot and should not be separated. Science, for me, gives a partial explanation of life. And so far as it goes, it is based on fact experience and experiment i agree that faith is essential to success in life but i do not accept your definition of faith belief in life after death in my view all that is necessary for faith is that belief that by doing our best we shall come near to success and that success in our aims is worth attaining and i feel like she did she did attain that excess although her name might not be nearly as remembered as Watson and Crick. But in my heart, in mine alone, baby, you're number one, Rosalind. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful way to end it. Yes, me too. Thank you. I really appreciated that story. I'm so sad now. <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit depressing, but yes. great story. Thank you for all the deep dive on the research. That was really fascinating too. Thank you. I loved it. I kind of want to be a chemist physicist, biologist now. Maybe that'll be our second careers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.